I'm honored anytime I get to stand in this pulpit. I am ready uh, to preach this word today. I don't know who this is for, uh, but I had an entirely different message prepared than about 4 a.m. God was like, no, you're preaching this. So whoever you are, you mess with my sleep uh, today. And I really believe this is going to bless you. It's going to help you. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 12. But before we even read the text, let's just kind of set the tone and the trajectory of where we're going to go. Because I was reminded of a story of a man who called up his doctor in a complete panic. He said, Doc, I got to see you now. And he walked in his doctor's office and the doctor said, sir, what's wrong? The man said, everything. The doctor goes, what do you mean everything? He said, Doc, every place in my body that I touch, I immediately kill over in excruciating pain. Doctor goes, what do you mean every place? He said, doc, every place. Doctor goes, okay, touch your elbow. Man touched his elbow. <laughs> Doctor said, wow. Touch your knee. Man touched his knee. <laughs> Doctor goes, touch your hair. Man touched his hair. <laughs> Doctor goes, dummy. You got a dislocated finger. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that tomorrow. <laughs> See, sometimes in life, you can think there's something wrong with everything, when in actuality, there's just something wrong with one thing. And if you could get the one thing together, everything else would take care of itself. Oh, come on, I'm already preaching it here today. I think... Jesus is concerned with getting to the one thing that's affecting everything else. And we see it in Mark chapter 2. Let's look at this today. Mark 2, starting at verse 1. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law, also known as the haters, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Can you say amen? Yeah. Come on, that's just good all by itself. All by itself is good. I want to preach to you today, not long, probably about four and a half hours. Just using this as a title, I got more than what I came for. I got more than what I came for. Would you help me preach? Look at your neighbor, get in their face, get in their personal space, and just say neighbor. Oh, come on, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. Come on, say neighbor. If you get to Jesus, you'll get more 
than what you came for. Okay, just in case that neighbor was bougie and stuck up, find another neighbor, find another neighbor, please find another neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor. I'm telling you, if you get to Jesus, you'll get more than what you came for. Come on, if you know it to be true, would you give God some praise in advance for what he's going to speak today? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, don't let this just be another Sunday out of religious routine. Holy Spirit, change us today from the inside out. Let us leave different than the way that we came in. And somebody who loves Jesus, say amen. amen. Say amen again. Amen. People's Church, almost 30 plus years ago, 30 plus years ago, if you came to a church and you were looking for me, you would not have found me behind a pulpit preaching and promulgating the gospel of Jesus Christ. But rather, you would have found me in a kid's church Sunday school room, standing on top of a chair with my mini afro, singing a song at the top of my lungs that we sang every single Sunday. The song went a little bit like this, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Then you had to shout, Okay, two of y'all went to Sunday school here today. <laughs> and uh, it just occurred as I was perusing over this passage of scripture that what began as just a cute little song as a kid has now transcended to a core belief because I really do stand upon the word of God. I am obsessed with his word. It is the hinge upon which my faith has its mobility. The word of God is the irreducible substantive essence of what it means to know who God really is. In fact, it takes the pressure off of preaching because I'm not standing before you today saying my words. I'm declaring the infallible, incorruptible, everlasting, eternal unchanging word of God there is power in this word to those of you who think that book you're holding is some boring antiquated book that don't really relate to your life you have lost your mind that is the only book that's still breathing it is the only book that's still alive it is the only book that has real power it's the only book that was written in antiquity, but yet it can speak to the specificity of your life. It's nothing like his word. But if you've heard me preach, you do know I do have a favorite section in the Bible. I am biased. I have a favorite literary genre, and those are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love the Gospels. I'm obsessed with the Gospels. In fact, I spent so much time and so many years studying the Gospels. I feel like they're close personal friends of mine. I call them Matt, Marky Mark, Uncle Luke, and Little John. Love the Gospels because it's in the Gospels that we get to see the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. I get to see how he walked, how he talked, how he handled people. Uh, one scholar said that the Gospels are Christology in narrative form. This is just a fancy way to say that the Gospels are the closest thing that we have of a biography of the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth and his name is Jesus. I, I love the Gospels. Hope I don't bore you today, but here's what I love. I love that these four gospel writers 
are all talking about the same Jesus, but they do it in totally different ways. In fact, it's like they're giving us a mugshot of who Jesus really is. Some of y'all know when you get a mugshot, they don't just take this picture. They're going to take this picture and this picture. That's all it is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John giving you many facets of who God really is, like a film director giving us an HD 4K view of who Jesus really is. And that's why I'm glad Mark is our director for today. Mark is off the chain. Mark is different from Matthew, Luke, and John, who primarily focus on what Christ said. Mark ain't got time for that. He focuses on what Christ did. He is about the actions of Christ. Mark is so gangster, he don't even have time for baby Jesus. No, please read the book of Mark. You will not find a manger in the book of Mark. This dude skips Christmas and just goes straight to full-grown Jesus with hair on his chest smelling like Old Spice. Mark is not playing games with you. Mark wants to let you know with clarity and precision that before there was a Russell Crowe in Gladiator, before there was a Mel Gibson in Braveheart, before there was a Denzel, please believe there was a King Jesus. And when he stepped in situations, they had to turn upside down because he wasn't just a good man. He was a God man. He was God in flesh walking among you and I. And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus has just kind of started his ministry and he's picking up on his frequent walker miles. And uh, that's funny to me. And (laughs) he comes to a certain house, a certain house. Historians believe it's Peter's house. And the Bible says when Jesus gets to this house, all he does is he sits down to rest in the house. Just sits down to chillax in this house. And within minutes of him sitting down to rest, all of a sudden throughout the entire region, people start going, hey, come here, hey, come here. Guess who just showed up? Jesus, you know I can't miss that here. Jesus is in town. Before you know it, people start getting on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and start putting the address on blast, saying hurry up, come to this house. And before you know it, the entire house is jam packed with people Simply because his presence sat down to rest in one house. People from different walks of life, people from different backgrounds, people of different economic statuses, all converged in one spot because his presence sat down to rest in one place. Come on, the Bible is clear. It uses picturesque language. It says there wasn't even room outside the door. This is standing room only because his presence sat down to rest in one place. What is it about the presence of God coming to rest in a place that causes people to be drawn from everywhere? I'll tell you what it is. People instinctively know if you can ever get God's presence just to rest in a place, how many of you know something life-changing, something supernatural, something miraculous is bound to happen? Okay, you don't believe me? Why are you here today? You could have slept in today. You could still be eating turkey and dressing right now. You could be watching Netflix right now. You could be a Cracker Barrel right now. Why in the world would you get up on your only day off, put on your good shirt, all that Mary Kay and Mac makeup, just to come into the house of God? You didn't come to hear the worship team as awesome as they are. I hope you didn't just come to hear me preach. I think I know why you came. You came because you knew God's presence would be resting in this place. And when his presence shows up, Oh, come on, somebody. Something is going to happen. Can we please just take a praise break? Would you just praise God? Make your neighbor uncomfortable like you actually came for his presence just to come sit down and rest? You do know he inhabits the praises of his people. Oh, I love it. I love it because Jesus hadn't even done anything yet. 
he hadn't even done anything, but even his presence caused an atmosphere of expectation to hit the room. Something happens when people actually come to church expecting God to do something. I can use my imagination. I can see them in the house. I can see the sick in the house going, if he touches me. I know I'm going to be made whole. I can see it. I can see it. My wife and I, we have three kids now, so I can see practical things too, parent things, like a kid, a mom with a little kid and a little iPad just not even paying attention, just, she's like, boy, pay attention. Jesus in the house. See, that's why you get in trouble at school, because you don't listen to anybody. Listen to Jesus. He's going to change your life. I can see it. I can see it. I can even see some ladies in the house, some ladies in the house, because how many know Jesus was single and in the ministry? Come on, single people, you're going to be all right. Don't let married people make you think singleness is a disease. Jesus was single. And I can see some ladies in the house talking about, girl, Yeshua is fine, girl, come on. Yes, sir. I heard last week at a wedding he turned water into wine. Yes, he did. Don't let him ask me out on a date. I'm ordering water. I mean, I can see it. They're all waiting. They're all waiting with tiptoe anticipation, perhaps to see, perhaps to see what Jesus was going to do, because people love to see a show. They should have been waiting to hear what he was going to say, because the Bible says they're all packed in this house. All Jesus does, all he does is he gets up, packed house, he clears his holy throat. And the Bible says that Jesus just preached the word to them. That's all he did, preached the word. Now, that might not get you excited, but that gets me excited because I love to hear people preach the word of God. Understand something powerful happens whenever the word of God is preached. That's why you ought to thank God you're part of a church that has a pastor that actually preaches the word of God. Oh, yes, please don't be naive to think in this day and age that just because somebody is standing behind a pulpit that they're preaching the word because we live in a culture where people are preaching their opinion. They're preaching pop psychology. They're preaching their political ideology and they wonder why there's no transformation in the people that they're preaching to because the only thing that can transform your soul is the word of God there is power in the word of God hear me today never take for granted moments like this where you get to come into the house of God in the presence of God and hear his word there is power in this moment this isn't a regular moment this isn't a casual moment haven't you noticed the Sunday you decide to come to church that's when all hell starts breaking loose in your life your dog starts barking your kids act like they have lost their mind your goldfish jumps out of the tank your ex from 1973 wants to text you now cause the enemy knows when you get in the house of God and you hear the word of God, chains break off of your life, your perspective is changed, you get pushed into your purpose and your destiny I love to hear people preach the word, if you are preaching the word I am with you I don't even care your style of how you preach it. That's how mature I've gotten. I don't even care your style. I like calm preachers that preach the word and just stay in one place and smile. And they just say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I like calm preachers that preach the word. I like preachers that get real excited when they preach in the word and got veins popping out of their neck. And got a Hammond B3 organ behind the bed. Sound like they have an asthma attack between each word. Come on, you know that preacher. They're more like, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. If it says I'm the head, I'm the head. If it says I'm above, I'm above. I'm so glad. I mean, I like those preachers. 
I preach like that in some places, but I don't want to scare some of y'all today. Um, <laughs> love to hear people preach the word. But how many know in my text today, this is no ordinary preacher. This is Jesus. This is the greatest preacher to ever preach. Do you know why I preached like I had six Red Bull this morning? Because I had six Red Bull this morning. <laughs> But, but you know, I preach with so much passion and so much exuberance, and I really do try, no matter how many services, to give it everything I got. Is because I know when I get to heaven, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Come on, we don't want to hear any preachers when we get to heaven. Put your little podcast to the side. The only person we want to hear in heaven is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the only one. Ooh, I got to get all my preaching out now. You understand, you understand that like when I preach or Pastor Herbert preaches, we just have a word. Jesus was the word. He was the word made flesh. That means if Jesus really wanted to preach a good sermon, this is all he had to say. And he still would have been preaching. Oh, because he was the word made flesh. And what would it have been like people's church to have been in that room that day? to listen to the living word, preaching the written word. And there they are, packed house, trying to pay attention to Jesus' sermon. But in the middle of the sermon, just like church people today, they got distracted. They got distracted. They are trying to pay attention to a sermon, but before you know it, they go. Is somebody on the roof? trying to pay attention but before you know debris starts falling down in this house and a hole starts appearing in this roof and a ray of sunlight comes through the room and all of a sudden a few hands and a few heads appear in the hole as the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger now understand historians believe this was Peter's house the disciple Peter they put in a hole in Peter's roof. <laughs> okay, let me explain the disciples for some of y'all, okay. If there's any disciple you don't want to put a hole in his roof, it is Peter, okay. Put a hole in the disciple John's roof. You know the disciple is always laying on the chest of Jesus. Put a hole in his roof, because he'll just look up and say, oh, now I can see the stars that my creator has made for me. Not Peter, okay. Peter's like some of y'all. You love Jesus with all of your heart, but don't let somebody cut you off on the highway, okay. <laughs> Peter was crazy. Peter would cuss you out. Peter would cut you. So I can see that hole getting bigger and bigger. And Peter's like, man, what the? And Jesus goes, watch your mouth, Peter. Watch your mouth. Come on, we talked about this. I'm the son of God. I will make you a new roof, okay? You need to calm down. All of a sudden, they start lowering this man down, 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 all the way at the feet of Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us this man's name. It doesn't even do us the courtesy of letting us know when his paralysis occurred. All the Bible tells us is that he is a paralytic man. Why is that important? It's important because if you study the Gospels, one of the literary nuances you will find is that anytime Jesus interacts with a person, rarely do we get their name. More often than not, we just get their gender and their condition. Have you ever noticed this? There was a man with a withered hand. What was his name? There was a woman with the issue of blood. There was a man who was deaf. There was a man who was blind. We just get their gender and their condition. And do you know what it speaks to? I think it speaks to the human tendency to identify people by their issues. 
Oh, yes, we do the same thing today. People love to put labels on you. People will label you and identify you by an issue or by one moment or one mistake in your life because it gives comfort to the human conscience to put people in categories. And when you put a label on somebody else, you don't want nobody shining the light on you. So we love to put labels on people and identify them by their issues. And you can hear when they talk about other people. They'll say, oh, you see her? She on her eighth husband. Oh, you see him? He's an alcoholic. Oh, you see her? She's a drug addict. Oh, you know, she had three babies by three different daddies. Isn't it funny how people will label you by one moment in your life? Humans are the only people that will call you something for 15 years that you did one time in your past in five minutes and think the sum total of your life is some mistake that you made. But I got some good news from heaven for somebody in this place today. How many are thankful that if you are in Christ, you're a brand new creature? Come on, your past gets washed away. I am more than my mistakes. My issue don't have to be my identity. Come on, don't define yourself by your dysfunction. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, come on, somebody. I don't know who this is for, but some of you need to shake off all the words that other people keep bringing in your life and keep bringing up your mistakes and all your past faults. And you know, look at them and say, you know what? You know a whole lot about my history, but you don't know anything about my destiny. God's got greater in front of me than the mistakes of my past. They just labeled this man. They call him a paralytic man. And watch this. Here he is now in the presence of God. He made it to God's presence, but he still got a paralysis. He made it into God's presence, but he still got his paralysis. I know you can't say anything in here today because it's church. You got to act real spiritual like you floated in here and had communion for breakfast. But if we could be real, which is often hard for church people to do, you'd be shocked at the person sitting right next to you today, singing all the songs, lifting up their hands. But if you are honest about your spiritual condition, paralysis. I'm talking about the thing that affects your walk with the Lord. I'm talking about the thing that you cry out to God in a secret place and say, God, if I didn't have this, I'm talking about a thing that shows up on your New Year's resolution list every year. It's going to be there for 2019 to saying, God, this is going to be my year to get this together. And maybe you feel like this man today. You feel stuck. You feel like giving up. You feel like throwing in the towel. But God sent me on assignment and changed my message to tell you you can't give up. Because God has a way of positioning you at the right place, at the right time, to hear the right word, at the right moment, so you can get up and walk in all that he has for you. Thank God for these four friends. They are the unsung heroes of the text. Thank God for these four friends. These are the type of friends I want in my life. I like tear the roof off friends. I don't want friends that see me on the ground and say, you know what, the ground is not that bad. In fact, Target got some mats on sale. I saw it for Black Friday. I'm going to go get you another. No, give me tear the roof off friends. Don't let me stay in my mediocrity. Give me some friends and say, no, 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 you cannot stay here. All the purpose that's on your life, no, no. Uh, somebody get his arms. I'm going to get his leg. Jesus is going to meet with you today. I might not know what to do about the situation. I'll do whatever it takes for you to get in the presence of the one that can. Come on, somebody help me. Pick him up. Man, you ate a whole bunch of dressing. Hold on. I mean, they did whatever it took and they tore the roof off. And no wonder Jesus responded to their faith. Ooh, don't miss that in the text. Their faith, collective, not just the faith of the man, but the faith of the four friends who said, I'll do whatever it takes for him to get a breakthrough. 
They tore the roof off. And how many of you know, if you're preaching and somebody starts coming through the roof in the middle of your sermon, that's a good place to shut that sermon down, okay? This is a huge interruption. Jesus has now lost the room. And the crowd, the crowd, ooh, they're excited because this is actually what they paid their ticket to see. Come on, it's already been rumored throughout the region that Jesus has supernatural, transcendent power. So as soon as the dude hits the floor, I can see the crowd going, oh, it's about to go down. Ooh, I'm telling y'all, Jesus got power. He got real power. I don't know if he's going to take mud and rub it on his legs. I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to be good. You better get your camera put this on YouTube. And the man, the man who had to be embarrassed, had to be embarrassed to be lowered in the presence of all of these people but all of a sudden, his embarrassment is eradicated with a feeling of elation and hope because he knows for the first time in his life, he's going to be able to stand on his own two feet. For the first time in his life, he'll be able to feel the sand between his toes. For the first time in his life, when he goes to a wedding and they do the cha-cha slide and it says one hop this time, he's going to be able to do it. <laughs> and while the crowd is waiting to clap at a miracle, and the man is waiting to dance. Jesus, who has the power to heal him, the first thing he says, the first thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. What? <laughs> okay, out of spiritual people in the room, you identified yourself. Because as soon as I said sins forgiven, you probably thought, mm, hallelujah, glory to God. Sin, that is the problem. But I don't know how you read the Bible. Here's how I read the Bible. When I read the Bible, I jump in the page of the Bible. I have to have empathy for the person in it. I got to feel what they're going through. And I pretend like this is happening to me. And that lets me know that I probably would have gotten kicked out of the Bible. Yes, right around Genesis uh, chapter 2 because whenever I am frustrated, whenever I'm annoyed, I have the tendency to be a little bit sarcastic, okay? Y'all pray for me. I'm still in process. So if that's me, if that's me, and I've just been carried through a crowd up the side of a house, a scene has been made, a hole has been cut in a roof, construction has happened for me to get into the presence of a man that everybody's saying is going to heal me, everybody's saying is going to make me walk again and the first thing the first thing he says is not get up and walk is son your sins are forgiven I'm going oh appreciate it Jesus you know that's why we came all the way down here to get my sins forgiven yeah that's the real obvious apparent issue to get my sins forgiven yeah I don't need these legs I don't want to walk I came all the way down here to get my sins forgiven hey guys sins forgiven mission accomplished let's go home what is Jesus talking about people you gotta read your bible it is funny stuff in your bible Jesus seems to be the only ignoramus in the room who don't realize this man didn't come to get his sins forgiven. He wants to do the moonwalk. Oh, what do you do when Jesus doesn't address the thing you thought he should have addressed? Oh, it's frustrating when it seems like Jesus is ignoring the obvious issue in your life. And anytime Jesus appears to be acting ignorant, that's when you got to pay close attention. He's about to give you incredible insight. Uh, let me say it more eloquently. There is a profundity in the alleged stupidity of Christ. That was good. Because this man, this man, just like you and I, didn't even realize 
He was in the exact place, posture, and position that God will often reveal himself to you. Hear me, people, church. There is a place in life that is frustrating, that is exasperating, that is annoying, and yet it is the place that God will often reveal himself to you. And that place is this. Whenever your experience doesn't line up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. Say it again. Whenever your experience doesn't line up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. Because rarely is Jesus recognized in moments in our life. He's more often revealed. And he will reveal himself at the place where your experience did not line up with your expectation. Come on, anybody in here ever lived long enough to understand this? Have you ever had an experience not line up with your expectation? And now, now you can look back over that experience and say, whoo, it was good that that door didn't get open. It was good that that didn't happen. It was good that God didn't answer that prayer. It was good that they didn't give me the job. I wouldn't have my business now. It was good that they didn't go on a date with me. I saw them on Facebook. God, thank you for blocking stuff that I couldn't see. Sometimes when your experience doesn't line up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he really is. He's trying to show you who he really is. And I got the strange suspicion that the situation you've been complaining about, you could flip the script today and start praising about it because the whole thing may be a setup for God to reveal himself to you in a more powerful way. Come on, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's not until you get the bad doctor's report that you get the revelation that he really is a healer. Sometimes it's not until you watch people that you thought you could trust stab you in the back that you get the revelation that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Sometimes it's not until your money is funny and your change is strange. You got more bills than you got income that you'll get a revelation that he really is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Come on, how your belly getting bigger but your bank account going down because you're still eating three meals a day. He's still providing. You're still here. You're still standing. And in that situation, he is revealing, watch this, who he is to you. Look at what he says to this man. What he, could he be revealing? He says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Only a savior can say that. Only a savior of the world can declare your sins are forgiven. But in that moment, that man had to be thinking, oh, Jesus. Hello? My legs? Oh, why did I come to you? You don't even know what my problem is. And Jesus is saying, no. You don't know what your problem is. You think your legs are the big issue? Your legs are the fruit of the issue. But sin is the root of the issue. And I cannot deal with the fruit of an issue until I first deal with the root of an issue. Ah! You got a dislocated finger. I've got to get to the root of the issue before I deal with the fruit. And can I tell you, church people love to invite Jesus to deal with the fruit of issues. Fix them. Fix my husband. Fix my wife. Fix these kids. Fix my boss. They're crazy. But often God will shine the light on your own heart and get to the root of the issue 
so that healing can take place. So he says, your sins are forgiven to get to the root. Not to say that this man personally sinned to bring this paralysis on him. That would be bad theology. But more so to say the reason you're paralyzed in the first place is because of a decision that Adam and Eve made in the garden a long time ago when sin entered the world. So before I deal with the disease in your body, let's first deal with the disease in your heart. Before I deal with the ailment of your body, let's first deal with the alienation of your soul. Watch this, stay with me. This man didn't even realize, he didn't even realize that if Jesus didn't say anything but your sins are forgiven and then walk out the room and leave him on the floor, how many of you know he still did a miracle? He still did a miracle. Because you are better off being paralyzed and forgiven than to be walking in sin. Oh, but you ought to thank God he's able to do both. Come on, he don't want you paralyzed with a promise. He don't want you walking in sin. He wants you walking worthy of the call that is on your life into your purpose, into your destiny. So he says your sins are forgiven to get to the root of the issue. And as soon as he says that, I love it. He gets to the root of the issue first. And that's when the Pharisees speak up. They say, oh, he's blaspheming. They thought to themselves, because that's how haters do. They didn't say it out loud. They thought. They said, oh, he's blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? And Jesus looks at him and says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He looks at that man and says, I tell you, get up. Somebody say, get up. Yeah. Oh, come on, say it like you got some power. Say, get up. Yeah. Come on, say it like you got some authority. Say, get up. Yeah. I love the way Jesus did this miracle. He didn't say, I'm going to do a six-week series on how you can get up. He didn't say, get a big bottle of Crisco oil and all y'all that let him down. No, not, not for this miracle. All that's good. But for this miracle, I'm just going to give you a word and you're going to have to respond to the word that you heard and activate your faith and do something you've never done before to get something you've never received. I'm just giving you a word. Get up. Somebody say get up. Somebody came all the way to church to get two words today. Get up. God is trying to take you to a new place. Get up. God is trying to take you to a new dimension. Get up. Your calling is too high for you to be thinking and living that low. Get up. Somebody say, get up. Oh, I imagine the man's legs started tingling. He got up. I imagine the entire place erupted, giving God praise because he who was down was now up. But I love Jesus because he's not just powerful. He's practical. He says, get up. And I would have stopped the miracle right there, but not Jesus. He says another commandment that when I first read it made me laugh out loud. He goes, get up. Then he goes, oh, and take your mat. That man had to be thinking, uh, no, Jesus, I'm good. You know how long I've been laying on that mat? No, you're not good. Take your mat, bro. He's like, why do I got to carry this mat around? And I think it's because Jesus didn't want him to ever forget that he used to be down on the ground. Oh, come on, somebody. Sometimes when you've been walking with Jesus for a while, if you're not careful, you'll get anointed amnesia and you'll forget where you should have been and where you could have been if it had not been for the grace of God in your life. Come on, but your mat is your testimony. Your mat is a reminder of God's faithfulness in your life. Come on, is there anybody in here that says, Robert, I got a mat. I got a testimony of God's goodness in my life. Come on, you know you're not standing where you're standing because you're that smart because you got it together but a mat is a reminder that if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side come on somebody with a mat I dare you to give God some praise like you know where he's brought you from oh 
know some of y'all ain't got a testimony. Some of y'all know you wouldn't have been in church on a Sunday morning, but look at you giving God praise. If he brought you through that, oh, he'll bring you through this too. He'll give you a mat. A mat is a constant reminder of where he's brought you from. Last thing he tells him, he says, go home. Go home. Think it's possible if he told this man to go home that he could have had a wife, could have had some kids. I can see him walking to his house for the very first time. That's how you walk when you just got your legs. <laughs> see him knocking on the door of his house. See his wife and his kids coming to the front door, maybe saying, Dad, 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 you, you standing. You, what happened? You standing. And, and maybe he looks at him and says, Family, you can't even see the real miracle. The real miracle is not just that my legs have been healed, which I'm thankful for. Oh, but the real miracle is that my sins have been washed away. He dealt with a thing that nobody else could deal with. I thought I was just coming for my legs. Oh, but I got so much more than what I came for. He did exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. And isn't that just like our Savior? That man's legs were just proof positive that a deeper work had occurred on the inside. And hear me, whenever God does a work in your life, it will be from the inside out. The same God that did it for that man is willing and able, I believe, to do it for you today. But you got to allow him to get to the root of the issue.